from multiple hilarious locations in Minneapolis or near enough. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are games for young children and comedy. Uh-huh. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. <laughs> I appreciate that. Excellent <laughs> delivery of that intro, Stephen. <laughs> Hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I, I do love you will occasionally go into your, your British accent. And say, yeah, I don't know why I do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just something awesome. I do sometimes. It really works, though, it's, to keep it up, man. Yeah. <laughs> do you have like a fully fleshed out British persona that could, we could, oh, invite could you put it on for this entire sometime? episode? Uh, uh, yeah, and his name is Idris Elba. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't carry on an English accent for that long. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, and it's not. And I don't even think it's like a full British accent thing. It's like half that. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a weird thing. But it's something I. I don't know. It's something I do. It's fun. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's it. a shameful American attempt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, to, to my untrained ear, it sounds perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you. Ah, <laughs> uh, goodness! What what episode number is this one, y'all? Uh, let me one see. We're on right now. One. Yeah. Nine. Nine. One nine. One ninety nine. That's how many we've done so far. That's a lot of episodes. Ooh, that's so that's, many. That's too many. Um, Doesn't that mean that? The next episode is the 200th one. Hold on. Let me do the <gasps> math real quick. Shut the front door. You're right. 200. Next <laughs> week is episode 200. Wow. Gasp. Oh, uh, wow. What are we going to do Boy, for that episode? Had, uh, I, um, I don't know. Uh, we should. Uh... Oh, wait. We planned for this. Ha ha. <laughs> That's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> we got you, listeners. Uh okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our two hundredth episode's coming up and we've got some you know plans for it. Um uh, yeah. we wanted to preview a little bit for you. Yeah. Um we uh Mark has been working real hard updating the website. Yes. We launched the new website back uh after our uh, last year's hiatus. So it was February, right? Um yeah. mm-hmm. that we 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 uh, put out the new website and it was built on a whole new platform. And it was meant to be database driven. So all of our show notes, all of our topics, all of our time codes, all of our everything would be all referenceable. So we could sort it and catalog it and cross-reference it. And we put that website up and we started posting episodes to it. And it was great, but it sort of failed its original mandate, which was to have all of this, use all that data and make it really accessible. And that was okay. Yeah. We, we, I think if you listen to episodes from that time, we were like, this is the start of a process. And um, uh, after a, a busy and uh, an annoying summer for everybody, um, <laughs> I, I decided to bear down and actually uh, 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 make a little bit more progress on that. It's been drips and drabs throughout the year, but um, made, did a bunch of work. Uh, uh, the design is a lot more consistent. It's mobile friendly, finally, which is really nice. Uh, I think a lot of people listen on their phones with a podcast app. So it's not, it was never a huge priority, but you, you don't want your website to look ugly on mobile. And finally, it doesn't. So that's nice. Yeah. Um, but also you can now browse, uh, by episode type, by topics. Um, you can, you can, uh, uh, sort by episode number or name, or it's just a lot more, uh, usable. 
than it used to be. Um, if you want to find old episodes, you want to find old resources, and that's something that now that we're up to 200 episodes, it matters to us that this is an archive of data. It's information, it's yeah. reference. We're not just a weekly mm -hmm. show that entertains you to no end. I'm sure we're that. But uh, we also have a treasure trove of like uh, great interviews and, and discussions and links and resources and all that stuff is on the website and we're working hard to make it so that it can become an accessible resource uh, to people without having to just go back one by one each episode. Um, so that's been yeah. a big part of it. We entertain you every week, but we can educate yeah. you forever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Teach a person to fish and uh, they can do, I don't remember the saying. Uh, they can make <laughs> games. Yeah, <laughs> that tracks. Uh, <laughs> Someone needs to teach a Steven a saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what else is, uh, what else do we want to tease for the, for 200? Oh, uh, we can talk about our Patreon. <gasps> are we, We're one of those <gasps> podcasts now? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ones that are in this for the money. No, like, no. Um, <laughs> hit the big time. No, I'm, yeah. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> heavy dollar sign industry of indie game dev podcasting. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yep. Get us some of that. <laughs> yeah, we've been in this for four years, but it's finally paying off. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, we we um, want to put up Patreon because, like, you know, there are costs we talk about them sometimes on the show but like there are costs from our end that uh help keep the show running mm -hmm. um and if we had a patreon it would help us significantly you know cover those costs um, yeah we're not really we're not at, like at this moment anyways we're not explicitly like you know asking for a donation but we've been uh not, it, not till next nice week if you, <laughs> not till next yeah. week yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah then you're gonna hear uh, us we'll like, talk about it a little bit more um, yeah, yeah, but like if you could, yeah, like now there's a spot for you to, you know, help support the show uh, financially if you're able. Yeah, yeah, and we never, I think it's, we've delayed on this a little bit because we don't want to put a bunch of exclusive content behind a Patreon, in which case, what value yeah. is it to people? Um, but we realized that like we shouldn't really hold back because we we know we do have really strong supporters out there and we've, we've heard from people, uh, I'd like to find another way to support you and so we want to give that opportunity. And also help, yeah, cover some of the costs if we can. I don't think we're mm -hmm. interested in making it a money-making operation. I think we've said before mm -hmm. um, that one of the reasons we do this show is it's is to um, is to be a side project for all of us. It, it and so if yeah. we if it became a sustainable thing for our, our livelihoods, it would be a less valuable show. Frankly, uh, <laughs> I, I say that now. Yeah. Uh, tune into episode <laughs> three hundred when we're actually making money, maybe. But. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, we cover some, cover some of those costs and also for things like, you know, we all, we took a trip last year, um, or maybe it was two years ago. I don't even remember, uh, to, to PodCon and we did some, we've done things at GDC and we've, 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 we've done things that were, that were, we wouldn't, we wouldn't at the time have thought they were expenses for the show, but thinking about it in a different way, they really were. And it means we can do more uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we've, we've run ads on an episode or two going back, but I don't think that's the way to go for us. I think Patreon's a better angle for us we have our cross platform or cross promotions with the podcast network we're, for, we're part of the greenlit uh podcast network uh which has been really cool um and that's great but i don't know that we're interested in doing more advertising um uh you know never say never but i think mm -hmm. i think a better option for us is to go directly to the people who enjoy and get value from the show um so we're going to launch that next week 
I don't think the live the link will be live yet. Um, so we're right. not asking for it yet. But next week we'll probably yeah. make a little bit of a pitch. But we thought we'd just ahead of time just explain so it's not that big a surprise um, mm-hmm. why we're going that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll probably talk more about it next week too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We'll describe um, what actually is be behind on. the gate. If there's is there any exclusive content at all? Uh, what's what's yeah. the, you know we'll we'll figure that all out uh, for ourselves and for you. <laughs> It'll start yeah. with do- pictures of my dogs. Yes, yes. That's yeah. I mean that's good content right there. <laughs> Up uh, top <laughs> tier. We'll put that under the top <laughs> tier. Yep. <laughs> they are real cute. You know. <laughs> um, and then I put other stuff. I don't. And there's other stuff for episode right? two hundred. Yeah, we planned for it, so we we know what the other stuff is. Yeah, we did uh, a year-long anniversary, the first year uh, of the show. Yes. We did a 100-episode mm-hmm. anniversary, and yeah. and <laughs> each of those episodes had different, were done differently. Um, yeah. Our special episodes are each their own special, and this one is going to be different as well. Um, what are we going to do for it? Uh, the plan is that we're going to like revisit old episodes and talk about what has changed. Um, in our mindset and what has changed with the show um, mm-hmm. in relation to those episodes. Mm-hmm. It would be exciting. I think, yeah. Cause it, Blast like, from the past. <laughs> yeah, because like, you know, we like it's been a long time. We've all changed since um, our first episodes. And so like, uh, it'll be, I think it'll be interesting from our perspective and hopefully from the listener's perspective too that, uh, you know, we, you get to hear that. Yeah, yeah. And us. we've revisited topics before. I think we did that for one of our anniversary episodes even. But mm-hmm. uh, this one, we're actually going to drill down at a specific moments from past episodes. And we're going to talk about those exact, we're going to get really specific. And we're going to talk about what has changed, what are, how our feelings have evolved, or new thoughts we have that we might have wished we had had then. Um, yeah. And you'll hear clips from old episodes. It'll be really, really fun. Yeah. Plus special guest, the Viking bar <laughs> in those old clips. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. I almost oh, forgot. Oh, boy. Yeah, something else. Longtime listeners know what we're talking about. <laughs> listeners who don't know yeah. what we're talking about, you don't need to know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll put uh, it in the show notes for episode 200. Yeah. <laughs> A little brief slideshow homage to the Viking bar. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Should we get started on, on our uh, topics? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ellen, this is your topic. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> The topic I want to talk about today is games for young children. So I'm really thinking like games for kids who are ages three to five or or so. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I haven't talked about my nephews much before. I don't, I'm not a parent yet, um, but I do have two amazing nephews. Um, their names are Maximus and Wesley. And one is five and one is four. And until COVID, we were able to, Eric, my husband and I, we were able to go visit them like once a week, we'd have like a big family breakfast and Eric would hang out with his sisters and talk and I would grab the boys and go downstairs and play Ninja Turtles or whatever. And mm. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, haven't really been able to do that because of the pandemic, but right. uh, watching them, you know, watching them learn was, and just like be kids, was super rewarding. Um, but also watching them play games was really interesting to me because as a game designer and as a, you know, as a learning experience designer, like it was just fascinating to see how they would approach things and how quickly they picked up like different types of interfaces and stuff like that. So they have like a couple Amazon Fire. They have they each have like their own Amazon Fire tablet that's like in this kid-proof case. <laughs> Wesley 
chucked his out of a moving vehicle once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think his might be a replacement. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they play, you know, they play games on their on their tablets that are really designed for kids. But mm-hmm. even even Maximus, like he inherited a, a, a Nintendo 64 and he's already kicking my butt at Mario Kart. He's five and he's kicking my butt at Mario Kart. <laughs> Partly that's because I'm really terrible at racing games, like truly bad. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, like he's got it at he's got it at home. He's got it in his room. And he plays with his mom. So yeah. he's got a lot of practice. Uh, and he's a kid. He learns really quickly. So um, it's been really cool to to kind of see him explore new types of games and new genres. And Wesley has a game that he plays on his tablet where he gets to wash cars. And that's oh. very cute. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like they have different play styles and, and it's interesting to watch, like I said. But the thing that I wanted to bring to the podcast and bring to you guys was kind of open this topic up a little bit mm-hmm. um, for more of a, des- like in more of a designer perspective and think, okay, so right. These are these two kids that are in my life and that makes it personal for me. But broadly speaking, like what are good practices if you are interested in making a game for this really young demographic? Um, what does that mean? And so I did a little bit of research. Oh, okay. And found some, some like two videos that I think were are really good starting points from anyone who wants to delve into this. Uh, and one's from GDC. It's actually from App DevCon 14, 2014. So it's a little old, but oh, so far, yeah. like, the, the principles hold true. Um, and the other one is a talk from the YouTube channel Extra Credits. So I'll get into those for a little bit. But before I kind of dive into the details, I'm just curious, like, what experience you guys have with um, games and young kids? And what are some of the observations or questions you guys might have that we could get into as we keep chatting about this. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you talk about your nephews because that's very similar to my experience with my nephews. And I've talked about them on the show before because I had them play test Widget Satchel. Um, And they're a couple years apart. They're now like eight and 10. Um, But um, I would very frequently, and this is the same, this was the case with Metro Nexus years ago even. I Mm -hmm. was very, very interested in their ability to grasp like, uh, their sort of first experience. I didn't so much worry that they would get all of it, but I wanted to make sure that it wasn't that they at least kind of knew the basics um, mm-hmm. and that if they spent more time with it. And I was actually quite surprised, particularly with Widget Satchel, where uh, I think they completely um, grasped the concepts um, uh, like the the changing weight mechanic was something that I was really we worked really hard to tutorialize. And that was yeah. something mm-hmm. I, I was just sort of over their shoulder, just making sure they understood. And one of the most interesting parts about it is you guys know in level two, there's a section where if you fail, you you fall down into a pit and then you have to redo this whole section over again. Because in Widget right, Statue, yeah. you can't die, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we all discovered in playtesting had a positive in that uh, uh, players didn't have, there was very little off ramp to the game. So people played yeah. for longer and longer, which was kind of neat, mm-hmm. but also like, I don't know, it had, it had pros and cons. But the other part was that it would be particularly frustrating because you would rather just die and go back to a checkpoint then yeah. have to like work your way back to the checkpoint. And so we did a lot of level design things to sort of mitigate that. And I was really particularly interested in the way my nephews approached those moments because I figured hmm. if anyone's going to lose patience, <laughs> like if at a, at a, at a play test event and I, 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 I'm standing there and the player's standing there, like they're going to hide their feelings a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, and, and I have to account for that. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Kids don't do that. So. No. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> so I use their reactions a lot to know like, oh, this is working or, oh, this needs to be tweaked or, or this, um, this uh, uh, thing I put in to make it less of a bother actually has no effect at all. And so it needs to be adjusted. Um, so yeah. I've definitely used them as, uh, um, you know, as uh, uh, unwilling playtesters. I told them that's what they were doing. They didn't know that's what it was. They're just like <laughs> playing, playing uncle's video games. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's really funny, too, because um, I think there's a um, uh, watching my sister and her husband, the way that they uh, teach their kids fair play. And I think there's lots of different. Huh. There's a lot of different approaches. And I don't have a really an opinion on what's right or not. I think there's lots of different valid approaches. But my uh, my sister and husband are very much of the case of when they play games with the with their kids, they don't hold back. Yeah. So oh. it t- teaches them that, like, it's OK to lose. And yeah. uh, and I think that that's one school of thought. Right. And so it is sort of interesting to watch my brother-in-law like play like hockey in the driveway with my six-year-old <laughs> nephew and just wail oh, on no. him. Like just like <laughs> and he plays goalie and will not let a single thing go by. And it's just like, OK, I mean, that, it, it's, it actually takes a little bit of like uh, resolve to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. then also watching my sister not hold back in Mario Kart. And <laughs> because one of my nephews is very, very, he's really, really competitive. And so mm-hmm. he actually needs that lesson to know that it's okay not to be the best all the time. Right. Yeah. Even yeah. though he, when he plays amongst his friends or his other, his older brother, in fact, he usually is the best. So when mm-hmm. my sister whoops him like that's, and then it's okay. So yeah. that's really interesting. So Metro Nexus, my other game, which has a competitive mode. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's interesting to watch. Uh, her whole family, the the four of them play that game. And <laughs> and and just to see like the thing that's been a really good test because um, Metro Nexus, I think is a little I think other than mo- compared to most platformers or battle games takes a little longer to understand. And yeah. the 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 challenge of my sister, like totally kicking ass, has actually <laughs> has definitely motivated them to understand the game faster in a way that was really, really cool to see. Well, cool. that's yeah. Uh, you, Mark, you are definitely right. The kids <laughs> do not hold back <laughs> on their feedback. That's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think that's cool that like, yeah, you know, um, that your um, sis- your sister's family is like, uh, uh, set on that. Like, you know, making sure that like the kids understand that. Yeah, it's a philosophy. Like, it's not. I don't know. Yeah. It's not right for everybody. It's not the only way to do it. But it's been interesting to see it in action. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I um uh I I guess like most of my cousins are close to my age or like 12 or something so uh-huh. they're not like super young but i um before dang i didn't realize this but before covid i um used to every like like for three years um i had been going to a school to show kids um vengeance mm-hmm. and um tell them about like game development and stuff um mm-hmm. And I, I didn't realize this that the, the, the i didn't get to do that this year until now oh no <laughs> sad um but that's okay um so yeah but like it's been it was really cool to talk to like kids about um go- what they see in game development all of them always are like oh fortnite's the best did you make minecraft like, <laughs> <laughs> i wish and, and i told them yes of course uh <laughs> but uh <laughs> but uh yeah like it um I, I i like i really enjoyed like doing that because like i um could see how passionate a lot of the kids were about um making games and stuff and they worked on they worked using a visual uh language um program i can't remember what the name of the program was it scratch 
Yeah. That, that might have been it. I think that was it. Yeah. I think that was what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, it was really cool. Like, also just, you know, watching people play Fingence, um and seeing that, like, uh, if you play it on, like, the default difficulty and stuff, um, mm-hmm. it, like, worked out. It still worked out really well for them. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I, like, I've showed Fingence to kids in the past a lot of times. And, like, um, they oftentimes are the, the people who get into the game more than, like, adults do. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> Just, um, yeah, but, like, yeah, but that, that has been my impression, too, is that, like, kids will not hold, they will not pull punches when it comes to feedback. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's good. I think it's valuable to, like, see that. Yeah. So, w- one other thing we're going to add to the list of best practices and suggestions around kids playing games is, mm-hmm. no matter who you- Maybe not every game out there. Yeah. But if your game can be played by a child and it's appropriate, get some kids to play test your game because you'll get some good feedback. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It's really yeah. good. I mean, especially if you're making the game for kids, you should you know, get kids to play it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was interesting. Um, that's actually a great segue into, you know, what I learned from these two videos, which was mm-hmm. um the the GDC talk, which again was it's on the GGC channel, and of course, we'll link it, link to the video in the show notes. But um, this was from App DevCon in 2014, and the title of the talk was Designing Apps and Games for Kids the Right Way, and ah. title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it featured three panelists from three different studios, all who, you know, made games and were continuing to make games that were tailored to kids um, from ages like two to five or ages two to eight. So, you know kind of the the age group that we're talking about mm. um and at one point in the talk uh the moderator asked the panel to talk to like okay so you've made you know you've made at least one game what are some of the things that you've learned along the way how have you evolved your practice mm. and um one of the developers said yeah we play test with kids a lot more and she started by saying like yeah, we used to like have a kid have kids play the game once a month um, and we thought we were doing that, you know, we thought we were doing enough playtesting with kids. And now and we realized, no, absolutely not. So we are oh. having kids come in every two weeks and playtest mm. the games. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I think this might be controversial, but personally, I think any playtesting can be generally beneficial. Like, I think that's probably not true across the board, but it's so easy to get into your own head with your own designs that if you just get any any experience where you're watching someone who's not part of your brain space playing your game that came yeah. from your brain space, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that can be helpful for you. Even if the feedback they give you, you don't execute on any of it and you completely think they're wrong about all the opinions they share. I think it's still mm-hmm. helpful to get information that comes from outside your own head. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. And if you were making a game for a certain like type of player, you should get those players to play your game while you're making it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and that's a challenge for designers because like independent, I mean, certainly if you're making games for kids, it's easier to identify, oh yeah, kids, let's have kids play. Um, yeah. But I think it's always been difficult for game designers to know what their audience is. Um, yeah. And th- this is a great example of one where it's not that hard to know. And so it can use, it could be a good template for whatever type of game you're making, even if it's not for kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you can know how like this is how you approach these audiences. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I do want to say, though, that like, you know, kid, just like how adults have are different people and have different audiences. Kids are the same way. And so just because like and I'm not saying that anybody has said otherwise, but I'm just I just want to emphasize that, I guess, that like 
not every kid will like your game just because they're five years old. <laughs> right. You know? Yes. So. Right. Right. One of yeah. my nephews wanted to get the wrench immediately to hit the robots. <laughs> and, the <laughs> and the other one was more interested in moving forward to the next level. And, oh. <laughs> and it's uh, so there are definitely even for a game that is as simple as, say, Widget Satchel, you can have very different approaches from kids who otherwise seem kind of similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, like uh, my nephews, they live in the same house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're cousins, but they live in the same house and they have very different personalities. Mm -hmm. Maximus yeah. is very competitive. Um, probably why he's really good at Mario Kart. <laughs> I'm really not. One of the reasons why I'm bad at Mario Kart. And Wesley seems to be more of like the, my style of gamer. He's very like, he likes to do things on his own. He likes to explore. He takes his time. Mm -hmm. um, they're both very social, but they socialize around. They're even starting to socialize around games, but they do it very differently. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're not, you know, it's not Brave New World. We're not decanted in a factory. <laughs> yeah. um, everyone's different. So, yeah, you know, do what you can. Um, get your game in front of lots of different kids. That's probably a challenge if you're not a parent, you might not have the connections that you would be able to draw upon if you are. Um, yeah, that's true. But do what you can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, something that, just bouncing off of that though, and this was another thing I wanted to talk about, and I, th I think they do a really good job of, of discussing in the GDC talk, um, is that you are, your players are kids, but your customers are parents. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's good. And that, presents some really interesting challenges i think for designers mm -hmm. yeah because your kid wants it to be fun and your kid the kid the player wants wants what any player wants they want it to be engaging they want to have like a good feel they want to feel awesome they want to have fun um one thing that seems to do really well is like if you're using existing characters like characters that are recognizable from you know blues clues or probably is like a bazillion baby shark games out there i don't know uh like PJ Maxx. These are things I know because I have nephews. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like that they want, they want what other players want. The kids, they're, they're just players. They want all the things that any player of any age wants. They want to mm -hmm. feel great. They want it to be fun. They want it. Um, they want to be able to pick it up and be able to do stuff right away. Uh, they want to feel awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Parents <laughs> don't necessarily want that. And uh, they talk about this a little bit again in the GDC talk that parents, especially for children, parent parents of children who are in those younger age groups really do want some specific things in the games and experiences they have for their kids. So as kids get older, I think, you know, they generally get more independent. And so while there are probably lots of parents out there who are like, oh, I wish they wouldn't play as many video games as you do. <laughs> they're also, you know. They, they give their child independence to, to choose the games that they play to a certain degree with young children. Parents like tend to have their tablets. At least they try to have a more on lockdown. So yeah. you aren't able to download. If you're like a four year old, you're not able to download all the things that you want to download. You're not able to make in-app purchases, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and so then if you as a game designer want your game to get installed and played, by a child who's in like the three to five year old age group, you have to market it to the parents. Mm -hmm. huh. That's fascinating. Yeah. So what do parents like? Parents like familiar franchises. 
They also want alternatives to Disney. I think that was an exact line from the video. Is like they're <laughs> yeah. looking for alternatives to Disney, which makes sense because Disney's mm. everywhere. Well, yeah. there's a paradox there too, right? Because the thing they, re- they want recognizable characters because that's, they can put trust in that. Because they yeah. n- not just not that they trust those characters, but that they trust that the big companies that own them will mm-hmm. entrust those characters to studios who will you know will will make quality product, right? right. Um, yeah. uh, whether they understand how these types of licensed games are worked or not are made or not they will mm-hmm. it's like i you know yeah it's a fun cute character but like i don't know it so i can't trust its quality or what it says or any of that stuff yeah and mm-hmm. yet wanting to, to not be disney is a very adult kind of i think people are just sick of disney right <laughs> yeah yeah it's everywhere it's a lot it's a lot yeah agreed well every i mean like you you're, if you're engaging with a disney brand it all leads back to the toys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is a cynical way of looking at mm-hmm. toys and Disney and games, but it's also, I don't know, probably maybe truer than even I'd like to admit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like there's there's this show that the kids, uh, my nephews like really, like they like a lot right now. It's called Bluey, which, and part of the reason I remember this is because Bluey is a cartoon that features Australian cattle dogs. Oh. And I have an Australian cattle dog. Um <laughs> And I don't think it's a Disney show, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 a family of dogs doing family things and sometimes dog stuff. And it's that fun kind of whimsical space that you get in kids TV shows and in a lot of imagination. And I was like, that would make those characters would make great characters in games. It would be fantastic. And I feel like, you know, my sister's in-law would install a Bluey game without, you know, much of a second thought. And that's you know, and they were talking about this in the in the show or in the in the talk from GDC that they like they need you need that trust from parents. There's like a social contract between mm-hmm. the game developers um, who are making games for children and the parents who download and or purchase the games. And that social contract is that like the kids will like it. It's going to be fairly hands off for the parents once they install it, and um, there's going to be some sort of educational value. So that third thing is really interesting to me um, because, you know, games and learning, I'll always have lots to say about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's this interesting thing because educational value can be a marketing term, you know, yeah, like. Right, right. For the parent, maybe it's just a box that's checked and then they, just to make them feel better about it, maybe. Yeah. To yeah. be cynical. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Ellen, you, you would know better than us, but like, you know, it's like. Uh, it's difficult to, you know, get people to learn what you want them to learn through games or like learn uh, an edu- educational topic through games like math and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, uh, yeah, if 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 a parent is looking hard enough, like it'll be they'll see that like this game probably won't either. They'll be like, well, the kids will probably enjoy it anyways, even if it's not because it's a game and like. Mm-hmm but they won't or um, they'll recognize that like it's not actually an educational game. It's just like, you know, giving your kids homework or something and they won't, they'll bounce off of the game really fast. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's, that's the, that's the paradigm and perspective that the, um, the game designers, uh, developers in the talk were kind of taking. And again, this is a talk from 2014. It's, it's fairly old and I'd be curious to, to see, and I need to do more research on this, what these particular developers think now. Mm -hmm. Um, whether they're still even in, you know, making games in that space. But in the last six years, game-based learning for adults has has evolved, like, immensely. 
Yeah. Um, I'm not sure for kids, though, and I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, like, I, I mean, any, and I said this, I think, since the very first episode that I was on the show, every game teaches something. Every game is a learning experience because mm-hmm. you have to learn the game. Yeah. But more than that, like, you can turn any game into a learning experience because you're a human coming to the experience. There's stuff right. for you to discuss. So, like, mm-hmm. um, when I was able to visit my nephews and we would have breakfast together, I showed uh, my nephew Maximus some games on my phone. Um, and he really liked this game where it's called Zen Koi. And it's like this typical casual game where you just kind of move your hand around and do stuff. It's a really low challenge, but kind of relaxing. And you play fish and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he really liked it, you know, because he could move the fish around with his hand and he could like make the fish bigger. And so it led to this really um, like this, this interesting conversation between him and I about how uh, like how progression worked in this game because the progression mechanics in this game were more robust than the progression mechanics he had seen in some of the games he had played on his tablet mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so we talked about how level like you have to get this to get that and then you can get bigger this way um and he he really he was figuring it out um and then and then he hit that wall that in it like that comes in so many mobile games where it's like your progression really slows down unless you spend real money. And <laughs> ah. so we had a chance to talk through that. And I'm not sure he, I mean, he probably didn't get it because he's five. Yeah. But that's an educational experience because we are laying a foundation for his own reflection, his own learning down mm. the road. So while Zen Koi the game probably is not billed as a, or marketed as an educational game, it mm-hmm. was because we interacted about it. We talked about it. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's sort of um, a lot of opportunities that are sort of oblique to the the actual purpose of the experience. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, I think if you're designing a game for kids, there's a couple of different considerations. One, if you're explicitly trying to teach something, trying an educational game, that's a whole it's a whole category. But I, I don't yeah. that probably doesn't encompass even a fraction of the games that are actually targeted to, to young children, right? Um, but then there's also things, there's also sort of structures of narrative. So, uh, the same thing that works in children's television, teaching moral lessons, right? Games can do that. They don't have as much of an explicit opportunity to do that in the same way, Mm -hmm. but mechanics can express that just the same way they can for more, uh, 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 robust, deeper games for adults. Um, but then Ellen, then there's an example of what you're describing, which is like, um, learning how to operate a systems. And uh, being able to take knowledge from something like that, the progression mechanics, and take it into another game. And then being mm-hmm. able to better understand that so you can actually engage with those systems. And then that can teach life lessons about engaging with all sorts of other types of systems. And that mm-hmm. is essentially not, is, is completely oblique to the, um, to the purpose of those games. But it's something, as a designer, you should think about. And I think that's something that maybe you can abstractly theorize on. But if you're not playtesting with kids, um, you, won't, you won't see it. And, and maybe you won't... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and things can be revealed to you as to how they operate in that, mm-hmm. at least to a, some degree. You're never going to know the full extent of the impact on how people uh, react or what they take away from it. And you can never, yeah. you can't always even test uh, if it's working the way you want it to completely. Um, right. But it's just, a, it's a way to know more and gather data. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there are particular kinds of games that test better with kids ages three through five or something I you know how like tv shows will go oh this rated this tests well with uh adults uh 
18 through 25. Right. So like, <laughs> does that work with games? Or are there kinds of games that like will work in that way? Do you mean differently from how they actually are successful in the marketplace? Because like you like the Pepsi challenge, yeah. right? Like everyone says they like Pepsi, but then when they go home, they all drink Coke, right? Like because you want yeah. that really bad burst of high, that uh, much more sweeter taste when it's just two ounces in a little cup. But when you want to drink a whole can of it, like there's things like that. Is yeah. that what you're talking about? Like the test swell in an isolated environment? Um, well, I mean, uh, that's, I guess, more clinical than I was thinking about. <laughs> but like, uh, I, I was thinking of it just in terms of like what we've observed, I guess, mm -hmm. seeing people, uh, seeing young kids playing games. Like, what games do you tend to see these kids playing um, versus other ones? Like, I, I, I imagine that your three to five year olds aren't playing first person shooters. Um, at least I hope not. <laughs> I mean, unless it's like Splatoon or something, then it's you'd like, be surprised how young you, a kid can be and actually be uh, a fairly effective in Fortnite. Oh yeah, oh duh, man. Yeah. See, I'm I've aged myself, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but as young as five or six, they they you know yeah. they can play with their friends and like they what my my uh uh the younger nephew I was talking about before he is really into Fortnite because he's about the right he's a little younger actually but he's in that age range. But it's funny yeah. to hear my my mom when she's when she watches him or we used to before pandemic talk about how like he'd be on the headset with his friends and he's like a commander he's like he's, he's like he's giving them advice and like and he's become mm -hmm. he's learning leadership skills oh. <laughs> in a weird way which is like <laughs> okay all right that's not it's not really what that's for but it's amazing that and that requires that's not something that's, that's always <laughs> <laughs> well that's not what Epic made it for is what I'm saying like. That's true. But it it's 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 good that, that that's there. And but it takes the right it's the combination of the game and the, the player, right? Yeah. Um yeah. so as a designer, it's like, is it is it a big success when it, it is achieving a goal for most of your players? But if it's only achieving a goal for a, a fraction of your players, is that also a success? You know? Um does it because you might want to change it to make something you're trying to do work for more people, but then maybe it it makes that the, the what that smaller fraction got out of it might make that not as effective for that group. I'm not sure. It's it's it gets into one other thing that I wanted to mention from this uh, GDC talk, which was again these are old statistics, so it probably isn't the case anymore, or it might not be, but who knows? It's worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the the panelists mentioned. I don't think it was one of their companies, but it was a different company that they knew. Uh, they knew a little bit about and they had mentioned um, that the the company was making games for kids, but the bulk of their revenue generation came from women in their 20s. Mm. So players who, you know, weren't part of their tar target demographic, but were spending money on the game because they were playing it. And it wasn't parents yeah. because and this is another challenge to over <laughs> you have to overcome if you're making games for kids. People don't like spending money on games for kids. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's partly because people don't like spending money on educational apps for kids because I don't know. We've, I don't know. I mean, there's, that's a probably a different episode, maybe for a different podcast entirely. <laughs> um, but if your expectation is that educational content for kids is free, mm -hmm. then you're not going to want to pay money for a game. And if people don't pay money for a game, that makes it difficult to get content for that audience because there's no money in it for the developers. Mm -hmm. So um, some of the things they talked about in the panel were like, what are, what creative things are they trying now to get, to get money for their 
games. Um, not in-app purchases. That was right. one thing they said. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Huh. Uh, the yeah. example you cited is a little bit of the sort of uh, My Little Pony example where a different audience than its intended audience ended up being its biggest fans. But then the people mm -hmm. who were creators, they had, to, they had a, a crisis, which is, do we cater to that audience or not? And right. ultimately, they decided not to because they realized that like that was part of why that audience liked it uh, yeah. in a way that it wasn't explicitly for them. And then that actually made that had sort of a ill-defined uh, attraction. Mm -hmm. um, but for games, that's different, especially if you're looking at games that need to be maintained, that need to have yeah. that are services that need to um, that yeah, do need to generate revenue in an environment where people are not interested in spending money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, this is kind of an introductory overview into the topic. I think this is something that, you know, I want to come back to in somewhere around episode 270 something. Who knows? <laughs> Put it on um, the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, like, what, you know, the, the pandemic will end. I'll be able to hang out with my nephews again. And yeah. um, I'd like to do more research into this space just because I think, you know, obviously, like, if you've listened to me do my spiel on previous episodes, you know that. I strongly believe in the benefits of games as learning experiences, yeah. um, not just games that were explicitly made for that purpose, but mm -hmm. games broadly speaking. Um, and I'm curious to see where this goes for kids. I mean, I really think that there's a lot more that games can do to help kids develop as humans than just a new way to teach them one, two, three, ABC, and here's a car wash. Yeah. So. We'll we'll come back to that, but yeah, I, I'm curious to hear if our listeners have any thoughts on this, what their experiences are with their own kids or their nieces and nephews and so on and so forth playing games. So you know, tweet at us and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, Stephen, there's this thing you're always talking about, and like we're tired of it. Listeners are tired of it. Everyone is tired of it. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Uh, so, Super <laughs> Smash Brothers is a game that I've been playing for a long time, and I <laughs> nice try. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no in fact, what, what Stephen is uh, also tired of telling you, because frankly, it takes all out of him, is our feedback form. NiceGames.club/feedback. Yes, yes. It's the way you, the listener can tell us what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't. Um, there's questions in there about like how long you want the show to be, what kind of topics are you interested in. Um, you know, uh, just uh, a way for us to directly hear, rather than, you know, uh, uh, we love uh, podcast reviews, we love uh, tweets from you, we love that engagement. But this mm -hmm. is something that's a little bit more about the actual uh, maintenance and administration of the show, and it's very, very important to us. Um, and so, really, uh, what is the kind of feedback we're looking for that maybe we haven't gotten a lot of lately? Um, you know, one thing I would really like to hear back from people is, like, who we could interview in the future. Uh, I mean, we just had, uh, that group from Kenya, uh, on the show, and it was, it was such a valuable and yeah. interesting experience just to hear from them about all of that and, uh, talk to them. And so, like, have, having more information about, like, what our listeners are looking for from interviews would be valuable for us, like, booking those interviews and getting people to... Um, you know, appear on the show. It helps us because we get more content, and it helps you because you get more content. So <laughs> it's a win-win scenario kind of thing. Yeah, and not just more content because it gives us the ideas, but also lets us know how to shape our content. Right? Um, 
if, if we're doing a little bit too much of something that you've heard enough from us, maybe there's plenty of it in the archives and you want us to move on. We want to hear about it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, be nice, but uh, we want positive and negative feedback. When it comes to these public forums, we want it to be all positive. <laughs> but this is, <laughs> this is different. This is we want your true yeah. uh, unvarnished thoughts. We want to know what you think because I think your, your opinions and your thoughts and your experiences are really valuable to us. We want to incorporate that directly into the program nicegames.club slash feedback. Uh, okay, my topic is about comedy. Now, Stephen, this was a topic that you came up with, and it's been on yeah. the list for a while. Um, mm -hmm. And then I swooped in and I grabbed it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you, why did you want to talk about it when, it when you thought to put it on the list? Uh, I think I came up with it because I was reading um, some article a long time ago about how games don't do comedy well. <laughs> or it was about how, like, historically games were doing comedy or something. And, like, they uh -huh. were funny, but not in the way that the art, uh, the author wanted or something. I don't remember. Sure. I remember it being a cynical article. But <laughs> you know what? In a cynical enough mood to put a topic down on our list. <laughs> the article you're, you're almost describing and the way you're describing it is actually a really good sort of analog for comedy and games, which is something that's there and there's a lot of it, but you can't quite pin it down. Like when someone says, what's a comedy game? You're like, uh, even though there's like, there's lots of them and you've played lots of them, yeah. but we yeah. don't think of it as a genre in that same way uh, that we mm -hmm. do other types of things. And I, I kind of want to explore a little bit of that. Um, what, and I, I picked, I grabbed the topic from you because I have a couple of uh, things to get on my soapbox about, which we'll get into later in the topic, um, that I, that I would love to hear a listener's opinion on as well. Uh, and of course, uh, yours, uh, here in the clubhouse. So we'll get to it. Uh, so I want to start off first about the games that are explicitly comedy games. And the, the examples I'm coming up with here are ones that feel like, um, the most like a comedy film. So that you would just, you'd put in the comedy shelf at Blockbuster, basically. Yeah. Um, that's a really tired old metaphor, but there you go. Um, so the ones I'm thinking of are, are, are very story-based <laughs> games. So like, uh, adventure games, adventure games very frequently are comedies. So, uh, yeah. LucasArts, Double Fine style games, Day of the Tentacle is a good example. Grim Fandango, um, mm -hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was a comedy radio series and book and movie and, and, and towel and other things um <laughs> it was there was a text adventure of that it was just uh we can talk about mechanics later but it really used like uh, a text parser mechanics to tell jokes in a video game format um it was very much a comedy out even more so than just the story it was telling and those are really good examples and the one that's interesting about that is um even in those genres it's still this it, comedy still has kind of a identity crisis so I think about a yeah. game like Broken Age, which mm -hmm. was Double Fine's return to the adventure genre, right? And Broken Age is a really brilliant game, and it's really, really good. I wouldn't call it a comedy, even though it's loaded mm -hmm. with jokes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, and I think part of it is it ends up kind of failing on that score because it is, it is a, very, um, it's a very serious story in the sense that the characters, you really get invested in the characters in a way that you don't in other types of games, like Day of the mm -hmm. Tentacle, who you fall in love with those characters, but like you kind of don't care if they fall out of a tree. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Broken Age <laughs> has much more of an emotional core to it. And the fact that it is just wall-to-wall -wall humor, I think feels incongruous with a little bit. And that might be more okay. of a film critic's a, a, a appreciation. So it might not be, it, your opinions may vary. But I, I found that was an interesting example in this list. Yeah. But 
The other thing I want to talk about is comedy in games, which is much more of what you see. And it's kind mm -hmm. of in every game you've ever played. Um, mm -hmm. And this is it's sort of like hinting at my soapbox later about it, which is just like there's in some games, there's not enough comedy. And in some games, there's just way too much comedy. <laughs> and like, mm -hmm. yeah. it doesn't seem like there's a, a people have under there's not enough. Um, I don't know the, the maybe the medium's just not old enough to have a real uh, mature relationship with comedy. And I, what I mean is that like a, a real uh, uh, artist understanding, not mature in terms of content. Um, yeah. And and so you have things um like uh, uh games that have like really funny worlds um borderlands is one if we had martha on the show uh she could tell us all about the <laughs> the funny world of borderlands another one is ratchet and clank which i think does a pretty good job actually of balancing it of all the examples i could think of um yeah. but more often you get games that just have funny bits in them because games are silly and mm -hmm. uh, an example is mario games have this a lot um not so much 2d mario games but 3d mario games almost always have comedy cutscenes. Um Super Mario Sunshine which I finished finally um has a Good job. Uh, yeah, well <laughs> I mean I regret most of it, but <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but it's funny cuz uh cuz it, it reminds you stuck me stuck with it. Yeah, the, there's the, the the uh Bowser Jr kidnaps Peach and yeah. because he, he thinks Peach is his mo mother. And yeah. there's, there's there's so little story in this game. And it's it, it's launched a thousand Tumblr accounts, but like uh, it's just like this bizarre thing, and it's never explained. And in the in the final cutscene, and I didn't know this because I hadn't beaten this game, even though I I knew this about this game for a long time. The final cutscene is Bowser, uh, you know, uh, Bowser and Bowser Junior stranded on an island. You know, they've lost. Mario beat them, and Bowser says, "Son, I have something to tell." This is a fully voiced game, by the way, which is one of the reasons why it's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, that's he's like, great. son, I have something to tell you. And then Bowser Jr. goes, I know the peach isn't really my mom. And then like, that's the end of the story. And I'm, and that's yep. it's supposed to be a joke. And it's like, I don't get it. Like, it's so. <laughs> so the thing about it, when you're playing Mario Sunshine, though, it's mm -hmm. a it's a it's a colorful, bright, cute world. At, but yeah. it's not comedy. But yeah. then but then the cutscenes in the game, at least some of them and that one at the end, especially is just it's like parody in a weird way. It's like, it's sitcom level. And I, I it's very weird to me. Odyssey mm -hmm. ends the same way where you defeat Bowser. Yeah. Who's trying to marry peach because that's apparently the well they go back to <laughs> yeah. all the time. Don't think too much about it. Yeah, I know. Uh -huh. Mario, Mario defeats Bowser. And then in the ending cutscene, uh, it ends up being like, they're like, they're fighting for peach's attention, even though they were just fighting each other. I don't know. And and then Peach is like, ah, no, I'm going to go off on my own and explore the world. I don't need either of you. Yeah. And it ends with Mario, like, patting Bowser on the back, like, sorry, buddy. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, aside from the sort of latent sexism in it, like, th yeah. there is that there. But apart from that, it, like, it doesn't fit with the story of the world, the sort of Mario traveling around the world to rescue Peach once again, which is a tired story. But then mm -hmm. the twist they put on in the end is weird. Like the idea of, yep. of, of Peach going off and not choosing either of them is great. It's a cool story idea. But mm -hmm. the fact that then Mario and Bowser are consoling each other is so... Anyway, that's my just critique of that scene. But it's also like a, it's a, it's a sitcom level comedy scene in a game yeah. that had essentially none of that. And, yeah. and I think I'm using those examples because they're really, really stark. And also you don't really notice them unless you think about them because there's not a lot of narrative in those games at all. But a lot of games are like this. Um, I think of like open world games. Open world games are lousy with this. So a game like Mass Effect, 
Mass Effect is a serious franchise. It's like, you know, right. people can be funny with each other and there are jokes and that's okay. That drama has that. But then there's this whole through line of this um, uh, one of the alien species that that is sort of a jellyfish, uh, like a like a giant jellyfish. It's one of the yeah. that is stars in like a, a, a James Bond film series in the world of Mass oh. Effect. And you get references to it all the time. And it's like you don't know if it's a, if it's a parody series in the world of Mass Effect. Like, do the denizens of Mass Effect think this is a funny story or hmm. do they think it's serious? And that's what makes it funny. And yeah, and either way, it's a weird thing to put in Mass Effect. You know what I mean? And so I find this. And the reason is, is because these open world games are so enormous. They have to fill the space with content. And so like yeah. Grand, Grand Theft Auto is, is, is a parody. The whole world is nonsense. It's very it's right. I mean, funny. It's it thinks it's funny. But like it has, it does. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's funny, but it thinks it's funny. Yeah, I don't either. And has comedy all over the place, like you know, uh -huh. uh, satire. Uh, and the the story is usually a very serious, it, it, and that's weird. But like that's okay. But even a game like Red Dead Redemption, like I see, I constantly see clips of side quests from that game that are just complete bonkers, like crazy stories about someone looking for his friend, and then you see him throughout the years always looking for his friend. And then you get mm -hmm. the hint that he actually is, he was just looking for himself the whole time. And you can like take him out to the desert. And so like, this is all like, okay. it's incredibly wacky in a way yeah. that we would not accept from a television show or a movie. And yet people talk about the story in Red Dead Redemption. Like it's mm -hmm. the most like serious and well crafted like narrative in games. And I just is like, I don't know. Most of what I've seen of that is silly, silly stuff. Yeah. Right. So I would disagree. Well, I agree with you that like games in general kind of use humor too much. Like, yeah. uh, and it like confuses the ideas of the game a lot. Mm -hmm. But I think this is an issue in other media too. I don't think it's just a video game thing specific. You think so? Issue. Well, because well, I, I, I think of Marvel movies a lot of the time where there's a lot of comedy in Marvel. Yeah. Um, and like when there's serious stuff happening, they're serious a lot of the time. But like sometimes, like, Sometimes the comedy is to the point where like it's difficult to take these characters seriously or they put comedy in in a way that is um counter to what like their the they've how they've established a character just because like they they'll put it in just because like they think it's funny and not because it actually serves the plot or yeah, serves right. the movie in a way that is beneficial. It and breaks I think that, it a like, little bit. Yeah, and I think yeah. that like comedy in games oftentimes are used in the same way. So I, when I think of comedy in games, I think of Uncharted because, you know, I don't like Uncharted because <laughs> it has these issues. Like, yeah. um, you know, uh, Nathan Drake will, you know, uh, joke about, I don't know, whatever. Clowns. There's that one clown scene that my brother references all the time at the <laughs> end of Uncharted 3 or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and um, but like before that, you know, he murdered a thousand people <laughs> and stuff. And it's like it, it, it yeah, just like. I I, There's I get, a disconnect between that too. I do that get I what you're like. saying, and and that's yeah. uh, uh, um, I was mentioning like a James Bond style franchise, but James Bond is the same way, right? The sort of yeah. one one liner after he shot four guys in the face or something like that's, that is yeah. that's sort of a problem in all narrative, and I do agree with you there. I think the mm -hmm. difference in games is that you will very frequently play a game that is that is it's not just that there's a mix of comedy and drama is like it's allowed, right? I hope no one thinks yeah, that I don't that's think that's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. But there are very serious games like The Last of Us or something mm -hmm. where then you come across 
a a, a piece of lore, like a like a yeah. uh, like someone's notepad they leave on their desk, and it yeah. is essentially a parody of itself. Or it's like you read it. I, I don't know. If this isn't an example from Last of Us, but similar things yeah. uh, like yeah. Bioshock Infinite's like this too, where you'll you'll read the lore and then you realize like, oh, this is just paraphrased version of um, Rick Astley's "I'm Never Going to Give You Up" or something like that. Like that's the yeah. that's the mm-hmm. co- that's the level of comedy you get from these little from side quests and from lore drops in very serious games. It becomes like meme humor and references. And I'm not saying that the comedy itself is low quality. I'm saying that the comedy is so far removed from the tone of everything else. And part yeah. of the reason of that is that games are just, there's just so much to put in games. Mm-hmm. And that even when you have people with like very strong, like a, you have a very uh, strong design, narrow, narrow design team that's directing a lot of this, you tend to like, they, there tends to be a lot of allowance for like random, like hilarious nonsense because it, it it's a good user story. Like if I'm playing Assassin's yeah. Creed and I'm wandering the desert for three hours looking, picking up side quests I missed or whatever, I'm not engaged mm-hmm. with the main storyline. And so I'm actually in the mood for nonsense in a yeah. way. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's not that games need to be like films or anything, but it feels like yeah. we've settled into this comfortable notion of games being whatever sometimes and then being something else other times and it, mm-hmm. it it worries me a lot that no one is bothered by that you know I mean, like I'm i feel like there's it. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i was agreeing with you <laughs> yeah 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 um but i just i i, I think about this a lot because when we were doing widget satchel we had we had yeah. lore in there as well and the mm-hmm. world of widget satchel is whimsical and humorous but i was yeah. very very nervous about making jokes for their own sake I still wanted it to be a core part of the world. The job was smaller. It's a much smaller game. But I was really, really concerned about doing something that was funny because it was funny in the moment and didn't fit in the world, even though the world is not, uh, you know, it's not a perfectly serious world or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) We're serious about explosions here at Nice Games. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the disconnect. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, there's like um, a, a game like Control had a, bu- yeah. a bunch of references to Alan Wake and then uh, officially mm-hmm. a tie-in to Alan Wake later. So that was actually, but when I was playing Control and I started like, oh, that's kind of like from Alan Wake. Okay, whatever. And then later learning that that was official, I was like, well, that kind of cheapens the world of Control a little bit. Like, I don't know. I mean, this is it's my, it's an opinion. I don't think, I think, yeah. I think people can have other opinions about that, but I think sure, that sure. it was, I don't think anyone considered that that was something they wouldn't do. Um, and I, I don't know, it just, that's, that's my soapbox about it is I feel that like, uh, there's not enough people talking about how to stitch all these things together, I guess, because no one really has a problem with it. Uh, not enough people have a problem with it, I guess. And it's harder to do, right? If you have these lore drops, you got to give players a reward for finding a piece of paper. And it's not just to learn about more about your deep lore that they kind of don't care about. So that's why they fill them with jokes. And maybe that's just, uh, um, Maybe that just says that worlds need to be better. Like, you know, like that's where the failure is. Um, I think it's it takes a lot to be able to make a make a joke work in the invented universe. Yes. Yes. Because so much humor is referential. Um, It's if you don't have a massive world to reference, then making jokes that aren't fourth wall breaking, I think, can be a difficult thing. That yeah. isn't to say that all your humor needs to be fourth wall breaking, yeah. but like if you are writing something like, you know, a quest 
if it's mm-hmm. going to be funny, it might, you know, it's going to have to reference something that the user can relate to in order yeah. for it to be funny. Yes, um, yes. I think that's not necessarily a rule, but I think that if you're going to make something that is in game but also funny, like that's that's a lot of work to get to the point where you can really do that. Right, yeah. right. That's why the worlds like um like Ratchet and Clank I think works a little better as a cohesive whole. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I would say pretty confidently that the jokes in Ratchet and Clank are not the best jokes you've ever heard in a video game. But yeah, the, yeah. But, the, but it I but I think they're better. Like, yeah. <laughs> like they're, Well, okay, so I like that you brought up Ratchet and Clank because Ratchet and Clank is basically Futurama. Yeah. In that way. <laughs> like, well, no, 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 because like, it's uh-huh. like, it's serious. It's, or not serious. It's silly. Um, the mm-hmm. whole world is silly, but it's set in like a pseudo dystopian futuristic like setting. Mm-hmm. And so it all works together. So like, uh, I mean, I guess the older Ratchets, I didn't play the newer Ratchet games. So maybe they're a little bit, they are a little bit different. But like the older Ratchet games were like, um, they were like, um, uh, there was some meta humor and stuff in there because like that's the kind of that's the kind of world that they set up for. Yeah. Um, so it all works together. And it's and it's similar to how Futurama is set um, a thousand years in the future. But like, you know, they still make references to like the 2000s and stuff. Right. In a way right. where like Star Trek does that kind of stuff. But it's weird because like, why would yeah. you be referencing 2000s uh, humor or 2000s things um, 400 years in the future or whatever? That's a that's that really hits on it, which is that like, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like a fourth piece of fourth wall breaking humor or something that's like a dumb joke can work mm-hmm. in a universe that's equipped to contain dumb jokes yeah. um, or re- or references or like it, yeah. it's not a, it's not about like nitpicking or 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 uh, narrative consistency. Even it's like yeah. tonal consistency. Well, yeah. Um, and there like there's different kinds of humor. So yeah. like if like. I, I think you could, well, The Last of Us is very dark, so I don't think you could really get any kind of humor in there that would make any sense. Wait, it is? <laughs> it's super dark. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to talk about The Last of Us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, um, what I, uh, d- like, you, there, like, there are different types of humor. So, like, there's dark humor, there's just, you know, r- ridiculous humor. Like, <laughs> the world of Austin Powers is, you know, like, you know, doesn't make any sense. Yep. And that's okay. And so, like, maybe, <laughs> um, but like, that's like the point of it. It's like it's supposed to be a parody of like seventies stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you can you can play off of that kind of humor. But like, if Austin Powers has like really like black humor sort of stuff, um, that wouldn't really make sense for that world or that or that uh, movie. Yeah. Um, and like, and so I think that like I think part of the issue that we might be having here with with comedy and games is that it tends to be like one kind of humor. Um, or like one kind of humor that doesn't make sense for it. Uh, Mark, I don't know if yeah. you've played like Fallout games, but uh, uh, no, no. Okay, but that like I haven't played the older Fallout games, but I played, um, you know, Fallout Three, Fallout uh, New Vegas a bit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the fall, the old Fallout games were much more filled with this, but the new newer Fallout games still have this, where like they have darker humor things, where um, they'll, you know, you, you like. There's like a skeleton or something positioned in a way where it looks like I can't remember the specifics, but maybe mm-hmm. it looks like it's watching TV, right? In the yeah, <laughs> and it still has its remote in its hand or whatever. Right. Um, and that's where like they that were when the bomb st- hit or something. Yeah, right. it's, it's that sort of um, that uh, that dry uh, sarcasm or something. Of, yeah, uh, yeah. That's meant to yeah parody the, the the atomic era, right? Exactly. Yeah, like that kind of stuff would still 
with that fits within the world that like Fallout is parroting slash creating, mm-hmm. and, it, and it works. Like um, Borderlands, I guess, like a lot of the humor that they do, actually, it makes sense for that world because that world is mm-hmm. nonsensical and the jokes are nonsensical. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> as much as I, as much as I hate the whole tone of Borderlands, like mm-hmm. I have to give it credit because it is true to itself. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's over the top. <laughs> Lots of explosions, mm-hmm. and it makes fun of the fact that it's over the top, and there are lots of explosions. Right, yeah. right. But it doesn't make fun of itself in a way that is like you know makes the player feel bad for it. It's like the player is in on the joke too, sort of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that the advice I want to give to developers, I think, if they're thinking about putting comedy in their game, because we all do, right? It is so difficult not to, frankly. Like mm-hmm. even yeah. when you're making a very serious game, because like people don't have the patience for games that don't have a sense of humor of any kind. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's a challenge, right? Um, I mean, uh, the the funniest games are usually horror games, right? Like, uh, <laughs> they ha- they usually have the most gags in them. It, and that's just, mm-hmm. it's, and I think that um, to have a more, like, uh, mature medium, I think we need to be a little bit better at resisting some of those uh, desires to make games that are true to themselves or yeah. to make games so that the instinct, the things you want to bring to them become more true to what the game is. So that means maybe you have to change what the game is a little bit. Um, But one of the ways that you can like leverage a lot of that and that I think Steven, you wanted to talk about was like actually using the mechanics in your game to interface Mm -hmm. with the comedic elements. And the one example I thought of was Stanley Parable, which is another game I kind of hate, but that is a game where (laughs) where it like it's comedy was really, it was the player interacting with its mechanics, playing tricks Mm -hmm. on the player, confounding expectations and it used mm-hmm. that language in a way uh, to for its humor in a way yeah. that I think other games have tried. But this is this is what this game was like entirely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so that like that. Yeah, that's a good example of one that I think does a good job with mm-hmm. using the mechanics um, in a way that is funny. Uh, I like the Stanley Parable, but uh, yeah, it like, you know, it's uh, it makes fun of the player for doing the things that the game is telling it to do, yeah. which is in itself a meta like commentary on games in a way that is i don't know humorous to me yeah <laughs> it's a specific taste i think yeah 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 um but i think that a lot of like when think when sometimes when people think of games and like mechanics and humor they'll think of something like uh goat simulator mm-hmm. or um uh what's that one wrestling game i don't like i don't know there's a bunch of anyways <laughs> oh octodad that's another game um oh, yeah, and those yeah. kinds of yeah, where they have like silly controls and like you can't really control what your players. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, Ellen. Oh, uh, you, you, you missed out on a really good <laughs> show from Ellen. You did. <laughs> oh, I this one conveyed it in sound. I don't yeah, know. yeah. It, it and it reminds me actually of In Inflatality, that one game we played in. Yeah. And um, the nice plays, um, like those kinds of games. I don't like those games because yeah. the game. I, I don't feel like I'm in control of the player and it feels right. like it's a waste of my time. <laughs> and I and I don't and I don't necessarily think that these games don't, shouldn't exist or aren't aren't funny, but mm-hmm. like they don't work for me because like I want to play a game and like be able to know what's happening or mm-hmm. like or like be able to feel like I am in control of something. Right. Or right. if like you don't if like as the um as the developer you don't want the player to be in control of something. I want that to be under. I want it to be more seriously understood. Like myself right, personally, right. I want that to be more seriously understood. Like if you're taking control away from me, that's fine. But like, don't make a joke of it. <laughs> I don't. Right, know. right. 
so like in Flatality, which is a, a fighting yeah. game where you play as wacky ar- inflatable arm flailing tube uh, characters. Yes. Uh, <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> um, you didn't like that because it insults your investment in the game, right? Yes. Like, uh, yes. Partly because you really like fighting games. And so yeah. the, the game, uh, like it, it does, it's not like it's un- uncontrollable. It's just that there's mm-hmm. enough silly randomness to it that it yeah. actually kind of, uh, it doesn't reward your investment. I liked that game because mm-hmm. it told me I didn't need to invest in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know? it's, so, yeah, I agree with that, and to be yeah. fair, like, I went into it with a, diff- with yeah. a different mindset. Well, what's because, great about you know, that is it, it used comedy for that, so all this is, mm-hmm. is it's, it's, it, it's not to your taste, but it was to mine, yeah. and so yeah. I think that that makes it a success, and that it is what it yeah. is, right? Yeah. Uh, Octodad totally. is very similar, where Octodad is a, you know a game where you are a giant octopus pretending to be a normal suburban father and mm-hmm. you and it's obvious to everyone that you're just an octopus in a suit um yeah. but like w- what's great is then you're asked to do normal domestic suburban activities like mow the lawn and go grocery shopping and yeah. <laughs> of course it's ridiculous because it has these wild physics of you flailing your arms around and that's mm-hmm. the comedy there and I, yeah. I think that I think that also does work a little bit, but yeah. that does require more precision of the player because you do actually have to do these specific things and the right. game makes it hard. So I don't yes. I wouldn't I wouldn't begrudge anybody for hating that game for that yeah. reason. Yeah. Um, um, uh, one one game that is a fighting game that I think does humor uh, in a way that like really works for the game uh-huh. is Dive Kick. I don't know if y'all have heard that game, mm. but it's a fighting game that literally only has two buttons and that's it. There's. There's dive and there's kick. Those are your two button options. Uh-huh. You can press them both and you do like something special. But um, yeah, that like, but like that whole game is the parody on fighting games and a parody on the fighting game community in a mm-hmm. way that I think really works for it because it's still a fighting game that is, you know, that is like a a competitive fighting game. Yeah. Um, like like people, you can hold a tournament and it won't just be like down to like randomization or anything right. like that. The game itself is not a joke. Yes, I mean, the, yeah, yeah. The game is a joke, but the mechanics are not a joke. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, what I mean to say is, it's not something you you would you would tweet about and say, check out this fighting game, and then you get all you need from it because you've yeah. heard you've heard the joke. It actually is yeah. a f- complete game. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. a parody, and better than that, it's commentary. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very mm-hmm. it's very specific, and I think that's something that games that want to be funny, like using leverage, especially with their mechanics, like. You know, mm-hmm. uh, like we talk about how this industry is young, um, yeah. you know, but it's old enough now to, to have commentary, uh, have games that comment on a genre or on mm-hmm. the past and be self-referential yeah. in a way that I think like when I'm describing more like we need to like, you know, work harder and doing better at this sort of thing. Uh, what I, I don't mean that it doesn't mean that we can't be very specific or niche um, yeah. because uh, that has a place also. I was going to say, if I could add one more game to, uh, I think, a list of games that are good humor games, Job Simulator. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, that's a good one. That's yeah. a good example. Yeah. And that's a game that where it's there's no challenge in that game, right? It's experiential, right? And so yep. it's, um, it's, it is playing with toys. And so, but the humor in it is a real deft mix of storytelling mm-hmm. and mechanics um, mm-hmm. because it's, when you the computer in front of you has two buttons, one and zero, which is, is a world of robots designing a, a keyboard for a, a, a human. They didn't realize you needed more than that to type. Right. That's that's <laughs> yeah. that's funny. But it's mm-hmm. the humor really works when you are the person tapping one and zero and on screen right. you're seeing 
a full text appear, right? Like yeah. that 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 completes the joke. And so it's yeah. a really, yeah. really good mix of those things. Mm-hmm. Really, it just the whole thing is hilarious. And and then, you know, you, you're sitting there typing your ones and your zeros, and you're like, yeah, actually, this is exactly like work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there's parts in that game that ask you to do something and then you can you can complete the task in a way that violates the spirit of the task but meets the mm-hmm. letter of the task and the game yeah. will reward you and that itself is commentary right yeah <laughs> and that's funny like yeah i, I love that it really is mm-hmm. and yeah. it's and you make new jokes for yourself all the time like, i think the last time i played i think i was watching someone play actually and that's also fun mm-hmm. we made like i think she got it started and then we switched the headset over and I finished it up. We made like this pile of toast from like the floor to the ceiling. It was like <laughs> 200 pieces of toast. I don't, and it was hilarious. We were in stitches. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to make sense to anyone who wasn't there. Very true. Very true. I mean, a lot of humor is self-referential stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that uh, one thing that I think is interesting that I thought about while y'all are talking is like maybe triple a games that have like this humor in it that doesn't make a lot of sense put this humor in there so that the like if nonsensical things happen that the developers did not intend the players are like it's okay (laughs) they're they're primed for the funny bugs yeah i I mean it's possible i mean like red dead redemption is funny because a lot of the bugs happen that makes uh arthur or whatever that character's name is like do weird stuff yeah like um it could be it could be that kind of thing. Like the the developers are like priming the player for weird stuff to happen. Um, I don't no, know. I, that could be. A, I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> you. I mean, it would be better if they just fixed the bugs. But I mean, games are huge. Well, so no. I'm. I mean, ship all the bugs in the world. I don't care about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. saying like uh, using that as a as a as a as a way to uh, avoid the gamer hordes uh, is sad. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Uh, well i don't know that's just a theory <laughs> it's not a bug it's a joke yeah <laughs> yeah but i do want to hear other people because like because like i i have a re- i have a really strong opinion about this i i pick up a, a document or hear an audio log in a triple a game and it's not mm-hmm. and it's just a silly random fourth wall breaking joke i'm just yeah. i hate it i just absolutely hate it even if it's funny mm-hmm. it prevents me yeah. from enjoying it and i feel like i think maybe that's not a common and i just haven't heard other people say that and so i would be really curious to hear uh, listeners, because it's so um, common, that kind of mm-hmm. thing, that maybe yeah. people do not like it and just don't know that there's anything wrong with it. Or, you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or, or, or maybe there isn't, and people can can argue uh, that there, that it has a, a great benefit considering the length and, and, and uh, density of these games. I want to hear people's mm-hmm. opinions on this. Yeah. I do, I do wonder, I don't know if this is going to be a closing thought, but it could serve. Um, I do wonder if your experience and attitudes as a game developer informs your feeling a little bit because um well not just because by default it would but yeah. also you know you look at a triple a game and as a develop you know as a player you're, you're you're immersed you're having fun and great and if there's a you know a meme sheet that comes across you know your path on a side quest it might not be that big of a deal as a game developer you're looking at this this immense world as you know the and you're thinking about the huge amounts of work and person hours that went into making this triple a game and then there's this sheet that comes across and it has a joke from rick ashley on it yeah and it's like okay so we spent thousands of hours on this and here's this thing that is breaking it for me 
Yeah. And that might be more frustrating. Yeah. It could be. It, if, it Maybe it, it, it reveals the fringes in a way to me with the, the background I have in a way that makes mm -hmm. maybe me more uncomfortable with it than it might make others. I could see that being the reason. Yeah. yeah. Let us know, listeners. Let's hear. Let's hear what yeah. your backgrounds tell you about these kinds of things. Has it something you never thought about before? Is it something that's been under your skin for a while? Is it something you love in these games because it breaks away from the monotony of the, the main storyline, which is dour and boring? Like, and, <laughs> and maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends. Independent podcasts like ours need word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on our show, head over to nicegames.club feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in touch with your nice host on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and a simulation of 65,114 Goombas. I needed to make sure I pronounced the word, the number correctly. <laughs> <laughs> or you can contact us through contact at nicegames.club. Ask us your questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again for our 200th episode, <gasps> uh -oh. remember to play nice and make nice. Tightest bluer we've had in a while. Cool. I feel like we have to redo it. <laughs> to make it sloppier. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see what the feedback uh, on it is. <laughs> but I'm done. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today.